Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm too lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. Praise the Lord, Living Hope. Good morning, everybody. I know many of you are in conversation now. Why don't you shake someone's hand near you? Give them a fist bump, whatever you're comfortable with. This morning, Brother Henderson is beginning a series for the hyphen. That's ages 18 through 25, right back there in the multipurpose room. So for all of our folks that are in that age group, in that demographic, if you'd like to join them for that. They are going to be doing that, and uh, I am going to teach in here this morning. I know I see lots of moving pieces and things going around, and smile at somebody. Amen. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. If you're not glad to be here, I certainly am. Amen. Amen. I do. Uh, this morning, we're going to, I, <laughs> I told a couple of ladies this morning, this is the longest running series I've ever taught. I started the first week in January, and uh, I've just seems like interruption after interruption after interruption. But I do want to say how thankful I am for everybody who prayed for me, um, who reached out to me and contacted me. Uh, honestly, overwhelming at times, and I, I appreciate that very much. So I want to continue this morning on the Beatitude series. Some of you are like, really, Brother Roberts? It's, it's May. I know, I started the 1st of January, so we're, uh, we're kind of working through this. I think this is the 6th or 7th lesson, sir. Brother Coots would be giving me some grief. Well, you know, people from Oklahoma, you can't expect much more for that. I hope Brother Coots is watching. God bless him. Good morning to our E family. We're glad that you're here. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. It feels to me like we should be able to quote this by now. But what a, what a gem, what a jewel of words, this great first sermon of Jesus Christ. And seeing the multitudes, beginning in verse 3 of chapter 5, he went up into a mountain. When he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Um, again, I, I see some of our young folks in here. There is a hyphen class going on in the multipurpose room for ages 18 to 25, if anyone is in that demographic and wants to join Brother Henderson for that 
um, I think they got a three-week series beginning this week. The truth is everybody wants to be blessed, right? You know, we, we want our families to be blessed. We want our relationships to be blessed. We want our business to be blessed. We want our, uh, we want our church to be a place of blessing. That's really the bottom line, right? Um, even over the last few weeks, uh, with some, uh, some gravity of my own situation, I, I thought about being blessed in life, being blessed in death, and being blessed throughout eternity. Uh, sometimes we're more worried about the here and now, but there's also uh, a blessing because it, unless the Lord comes very quickly, some of us are going to go by the way of a grave. And so there, you know, death is as much a part of life as, right, you got to be born and everybody has a, is going to die at some point. It's the, it's the reality. You know, you wake up one morning and you realize that there's less road in front of you than there is behind you. That's just the gravity of life, right? And and you know, everybody, you know, everybody's going to go home to be with the Lord at some point. The question is how? Is that going to be a, a blessed event? You know, and, and here just a couple of weeks ago uh, in a text message with Pastor, I said, listen, this is what I want for my funeral. And he said, I'm not ready to have that conversation. And I said, hey, Pastor, I'm not ready to have that conversation, but if it comes to that, I want to make sure you know what I want. I want apostolic church. I don't want no crying and weeping. I want running aisles, climbing. I want shouting. I want, I want everybody I know to know what I believed and stood for. What are we talking about, brother? I was talking about blessing. I want, you know, okay, it's, you know, my wife's like, stop that. Okay, I get it. But at some point, we're all going to face it, right? And, and I believe that for us as the children of God, we want our eternity to be blessed. We realize there's two options, right? One's blessed and one not so much. Okay, <laughs> that's the gravity. That's, that's the reality, right? And, and so the question is, you know, it, it, you know, we want to be blessed, but nobody wants that alternative. Nobody wants the curse because that's the opposite of blessing. And so the question is, what does a blessed life look like? And that's what we're digging into in this second half of the, of the Beatitudes. Is it, is it having a happy marriage? Well, certainly that's a blessing. Right, you know, it's better right to to dwell in peace than the, you know what the, the the writer said. Be on the housetop if your wife is mad. Right, get out there and move, go. Right, and and there's a lot of um, wisdom in something like that. Is is blessed having is a blessed life having gifted children? Well, I can say for certain that it is. No. But no, uh, you know, is it is it having good health? Certainly, there's a blessing to that. Is it is it is a blessed life having fulfilling work? We could make that case, or maybe financial stability, or, or even having great opportunities to travel, or knowledge, or whatever. We could make a lot of cases for what blessed is, and we could add to that list, and we could, you know, but, but none of these things are included in Jesus' description of a blessed life. Jesus doesn't say, blessed are the happily married, or he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, for our humanity, that's that's a rub. That's, that's a difficult, right? He, he doesn't say blessed are those that are enjoying good health. Or he says blessed, blessed are those that mourn. In my humanity, I'm like, wait a minute, Lord. I, I like health better than mourning. I, I, I like a, a good marriage better than being poor in spirit. And so we talked about this or have been talking about it for all, going on the fifth month now that each of these 
Beatitudes presents us as followers of Jesus with a challenge and a possibility. And we went through those challenges, and those challenges were difficult. Those challenges were, they were, they were challenging, right? And so now we're looking into the promises, and the, these, these possibilities are, 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 are promises that we see. And so this morning, as we get started here, I want to talk about the, 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 the second one here. We talked about you know, the, the first one and the last one, I think, uh, in, back in March. Jesus says it this way, blessed are those that mourn for they shall be comforted. When, when we talked about this, I don't even know when, it probably was in January, the main idea behind this attitude or behind this beatitude, we said happy are the sad. Now that just doesn't make a lot of sense to me sometimes, right? Happy are the sad, right? This, this is the exact opposite of our human logic. But generally speaking, for most of us, I said this to you back when we taught that lesson that for us, happiness is the avoidance of pain. Happiness is avoiding grief, is avoiding those things that we don't like. But here's what Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in his opening, uh, in his opening statement in the second, second book of, uh, of Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. He said, blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. Tell your neighbor, he's the God of all comfort. And there's just no question for us as the people of God with this understanding that God is a God of comfort. But as I began to look into this, I found that the Greek word that is used in the text for comfort is parakaleo, P-A-R-A-K-A-L-E-O, parakaleo. And it comes from the same root word of the paraclete, which is the comforter. And we understand that the, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, is that one that the, the, the Greek describes, that one that comes alongside to help in the time of need. Certainly that is, that is a statement or an objective of comfort. How many times have you been going through a difficult time and the, the, the Spirit of God came alongside and felt that? I, I felt that even over the last several weeks laying in a hospital bed all alone, I could feel the comfort of the Holy Ghost and the presence of God even by myself. And so this, this, um, this word parakaleo comes from two Greek root words. Uh, the first one is para, and it means close beside, and the other one is kaleo, which means to call. And so the idea that is given from this word parakaleo is to make a call, an up-close up and personal call. And certainly for everyone who reached out to me, those were, those were very comforting text messages and phone calls that, that I received. They, they, they let me know that, that it was very comforting to know that so many people cared about me. The Thayer's Greek lexicon says the idea of this, this, this manifest in this Greek word is making a personal call. How many times have you picked up your dumb smart device and sent someone a text message or that's the, the modern day thing or actually dialed someone's number and said, hey, how you doing? And those, why? Because we understand that making that personal call is a place of comfort and, and that's really what it is. But from a natural standpoint, from a, a human standpoint, comfort, how many of you just like things that are comfortable? Be, be, be honest. I mean, right? Uh, uh, yeah. I've, I've said this before. I think every piece of furniture in my living room has um, uh, 
uh, reclines, not just reclines, but that has the feet, the foot rest. And I, I like my comfort. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased with that. But comfort, according to Brother Webster, is a state of physical ease or the freedom of pain or constraint. After a long day, I like to sit in my recliner and put my feet up. Brother Savati's got a recliner that makes most of us others feel like, you know, I sat in his recliner one day and my feet didn't hit the floor. I'm like, I can't sit here. I feel stupid, you know. <laughs> I'm not six foot 25 and I, you know, I don't get it, right? But, but we, seriously, my feet dangled from the floor. He's got this, I don't know where he ordered that chair from. It's the biggest thing you ever saw. I kind of like, you know, I just sit over on one side. I could put a person next to me. It was so big. But, but we, like, we like our comfort. I like to, uh, we like luxury. We like to travel in, how many of you, right? Right? You know, we, we like to travel in comfort. But the idea that is manifest from Webster's in, in comfort is also the easing or the alleviation of the feelings of grief or distress. And, and, and we understand. We get that. There's a few words of comfort. So this morning, kind of as we dig into this idea, I want to talk about how God comforts us. And I've already touched on this some. If you went to that next verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, and then verse 4, where he says, the God of all comfort, here's what he says in verse 4. He says, who comforteth us. The ETH on the end of that word is a continuation or a repetitive nature in all of our tribulation. Anybody got any tribulation? Right? So he's saying this. He's the God of all comfort, and he comforts us through our tribulation for this purpose, that we may be able to comfort somebody else, right, them which are in any trouble. I like how that says, it doesn't matter what trouble they're in, I can comfort you and you can comfort me. Here's how he says, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Do you want to know why God comforts you so you can comfort somebody else? What, Brother Roberts, that's pretty deep. No, it's pretty shallow, but it's real simple, and it's real true, right? God comforts you because I, I know, and Pastor talked about my testimony, but there's going to be an opportunity where somebody's going to be in a hospital, and I'm going to be able to say, hey, listen, I want you to understand. I'm going to be able to comfort someone, and you can comfort someone. Why? Because of what you've been through. And so Paul says he comforts us in all of our troubles. I, I don't know, Brother Savati, after 34 or 35 years of living for the Lord, I don't know what the world does when they're in trouble. I know David said, I go to the rock. They, listen, we, we understand that, right? When I've got trouble, I, I find me a place of prayer and I get in, right? Why? Because I know where my comfort's going to come from. My situation may change, it may not, but I know, Right? You know, that, that's, and we, we get that. Here's what Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 51 and 12. The Lord said, I, even I, am he who comforts you. Now, I'm telling you, you really got to grasp that. You really got to get that. There's, there, there's no greater comfort that can come to your soul than to know that God himself is with you, right? And when we talk about that, God comforts us with his his presence, right? How many times did, did Jesus say, come unto me, all you that are what? That are heavy laden, all of you that have got some burden and some trouble. I will give you rest. I'm going to make a place of, 
ease or comfort for you. And this is, this is important for us to understand. Isaiah also wrote in Isaiah 43 and 2, and, and I think Sister Staten read this recently and to start one of our services. He said, when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. Okay, you, you're not going to get much more comfort than that, right? And, and through the rivers, they're not going to overflow thee. Why, why aren't they going to overflow with thee? Because he's with us, right? When thou walkest through the fire, you're not going to be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Why? Because the God of comfort is with us. And so Paul says, God comforts us in our trouble. It doesn't matter what you're going through. You need to know and understand that God is a God of comfort. The second point I would make this morning is that God comforts us by his word. Tell your neighbor he comforts us with his word. The psalmist wrote in Psalms 119 in verse 50, this is my comfort in affliction for thy word hath quickened me. Other translations say your word has made me alive. How many of you have been comforted by the word of God? Every Every promise in this book, right, every specific and every non-specific promise is a comfort. The, the New American Standard Version said, this is my comfort in affliction that your word has revived me. And I, I don't know about you, but after a, a difficult week in the world or, you know, a few days or whatever it is, or, you know, how, it amazes me how much can change from a Sunday to a Monday, or a Sunday to a Friday, right? It amazes me how, how quickly life circumstance, a situation can change. But when I come into the house of God and I begin to hear someone minister the word, right? That word, that there's comfort in the word. How many of you find that comfort in the word of God? I can come in down, I can come in heavy, I can come in burdened, I can come in even overwhelmed, and I can leave without that grief, without that heaviness. Why? Because that is a comfort. And so God's word is a, a deep well of comfort. When, when we lose loved ones, right? Jesus, Jesus said it this way in John eleven twenty five: I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. These are great words of comfort that we share. First Thessalonians Chapter 4, verse 14, if, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so also them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. These are great words of comfort that we use, that we share with one another when we lose a loved one. And the word of God is, is just filled with promises and stories and reminders of his great grace and his great mercy and his love. And all of these are a source of comfort for us. But that is not the comfort that the Lord is talking about in the Beatitude. There's a comfort that is greater than even the presence of God. And there is a comfort that is greater than even the Word of God. And those are tremendous, tremendous abilities of comfort. But the greatest comfort is not just making us feel good or even feel better about our, our, ourselves. But the overtone, as you begin to study this parakaleo, this word for comfort in the Greek, is that the greatest comfort that we can have is being right with our God. In spite of my sin, in spite of my failure, in spite of my fault, in spite of every negative thing in my life, the main idea that's presented here is the comfort that I get in knowing that I'm in a right relationship with the creator of heaven and earth. 
right? The, the, the idea comes that the, the, why, why are, the, why are the, the sad people happy? That doesn't make any sense to me in the human state. That doesn't, my mind can't wrap. Happy or the sad, blessed or, you know, blessed are them that mourn. Why? Because there's a, they shall be comforted. This, this idea that, that we discussed about mourning, we said we have to mourn in one specific sense, and that was over our spiritual poverty. For every one of us, we are spiritual beggars. You are as poor as Job's turkey. Right? Somebody said Job didn't have a right, he didn't have a penny. He was he was as broke, right? But Job's turkey, he was poor, right? That turkey didn't have no meat on his bones, right? And so we discussed the idea, right? It's not that you and I are worthless. It's not that we're not worth anything. It's that we don't have any means to change our spiritual worth. I can go out into the world and make money. In in the natural sense, I can increase wealth. But spiritually, I cannot increase my wealth. You cannot increase your wealth, right? You You cannot give to God anything that will alleviate the sin issue in your life. Here's what David said when confronted with his sin in Psalms 51 and 5. He said, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. We are born, as David said, the New Living Translation says it this way, I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. That is so hard for me to think about. I've held those beautiful grandbabies and thought, oh, they're so perfect. And then they grow up and learn to talk. (laughs) They're still pretty special, but you realize pretty quick they're not exactly perfect, right? And you wonder about that. Happy or the sad? How, how does that work? How we think, you know, this, this is so perfect. There's just nothing wrong here. But David said, from the moment my mother conceived me, I was a sinner. And that's a, that's a deep, heavy statement. That's one that carries a lot of gravity with us, right? And so every man and every woman that is born should come to a point and a place. And for us as children of God, it should come on a repetitive basis because we are not perfect, right? That we should mourn over our sin. There should be that sense of mourning. It doesn't make sense to the natural man to mourn over my failure, to mourn over. The natural man wants to move on. The natural man wants to get through it. The natural man wants to overcome it, right? But the, the truth is millions of people, maybe even billions of people, acknowledge the fact that they're sinners, but very few people ever mourn over it. Because mourning is the correct attitude when it comes to sin. The, the world around us does everything they can to celebrate sin. They flaunt it. They, they put it in your face. They want to they show it off. They want to say, we can do this and nobody can stop us. And, and here we are, the, the poor people of God who realize that we have no worth, no ability, no, no means spiritually to change our condition. And we're, we're sitting there wondering why in the world. It, it doesn't make any sense. It looks like they're getting away with this. 
It looks like the, the world is just flaunting and celebrating and, and just on and on and on and on and on, you know, and all of the, all of the, the debauchery that our world is just filled with, it just gets, it's when you think it can't get any worse, it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And here we are, the poor people of God, and we realize we've got no spiritual means and, 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 and we're, trying to, we're trying to make sense of happy or the sad and all of this stuff. And here Paul is going to come in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, and you, you know this. He said, godly sorrow, that mourning, it worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world. The New Living Translation says the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. But he says there's no regret, the New Living Translation, in that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? The, 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 I'm talking about this, this mature attitude that every child of God, the, this idea of mourning when we're faced about the truth with our sin. David, when, when faced with his sin in, in Psalms 51 and 3, he said, I acknowledge my transgression. My sin is ever before me. When confronted with his sin, David said, listen, I, I, I get it, I understand it, right? But in our lives, in, in, in just normal people, in normal lives, when confronted with our sin, the pain and the devastation that it ultimately brings should bring that sense of mourning. And my point this morning is this, that the ultimate blessing, the blessing that is greater than every other blessing is that they shall be comforted. It doesn't make any sense to the natural man. The natural man can't grasp this idea. The natural man, he may go as far as to acknowledge, yeah, I, I blew it, I messed up. But that's not, that's not repentance. That's not going to lead me to salvation. That's just worldly sorrow. There's a big difference between acknowledgement and confessing and forsaking, right? Here's what Isaiah wrote prophetically all those years ago in Isaiah 1 and 18. He said, come now. The Lord says, come on, get in here with me. Let's, let's get together. Let's reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. The good news is that even though I'm a sinner, even though I deserve judgment, even though I deserve death, even, even though I deserve everlasting punishment, the truth is I've been shown mercy. I've been given forgiveness. What comfort is greater than that? There's no comfort greater than that. I mean, I like luxury. I want to, I mean, if we put recliners in church, I might be tempted once in a while to put my feet up. Probably not. I probably just wouldn't do it on principle. I'd probably be the guy that went and took all the handles off the recliners. Just saying. I can't think of a greater comfort. Now, I, I, I like, I like, I like traveling in luxury. I like living in luxury. I, I want everything to be, a, I want the softest bed I can get. I want, be honest. I, look, I mean, well, Steve, I hate wearing them to church, but I, I got a pair of fuzzy slippers that's comfortable. I like, I like my comfort, right? But the greatest comfort 
is not in all of the things this world. The greatest comfort is knowing that I can walk into the house of God and not be held accountable for my own sin. The greatest comfort you're ever going to get is the knowledge that Jesus Christ took my sins and your sins to that old rugged cross. You're not going to find a greater comfort no matter what you do or what you... Come on, somebody. You, they shall be comforted. It's not a maybe. It's not an if. It's a shall be. You want a promise from the book, my friend? Let me give you the truth of God's Word. That's why the sad are happy. That's why when I make a mistake, when I have blown it, when I have I've got an altar that I can come to and bend my knee and begin to make things right. That's how. Listen, you're not going to find a greater comfort than that. There's no... If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just, uh, come on, uh, to forgive us uh, and to cleanse us uh, of all unrighteousness. Uh, Come on, you're not going to get greater peace uh, than to wake up uh, and know you're right with an almighty God. Sister Lawrence, I'm glad that when I'm down, when I'm having a bad day, that the Holy Ghost comes uh, alongside of me. Man, that is such great comfort. Uh, I'm so pleased uh, that I can open up this Word and begin to read those promises and comfort. That's great comfort. Uh, I'm happy when the preacher begins to preach uh, that everything's going to be all right and I can take that promise. Uh, but there's no greater prom- There's no greater comfort uh, than finding me a place to pray and say, God, forgive me. There's no better comfort than that. There's no higher comfort. You can't find anything. David said, he said, you can look at this. It haunted him. He recognized his own sin, his own rebellion, his own destructive nature. Nathan the prophet called him out, and he said, oh, God. He recognized it. I don't understand it. I don't know why it is, but it's so much easier for us to recognize rebellion in somebody else than it is ourself. It's so much easier to see somebody else's sin than it is my own sin. I, I, I don't know the answer to that, but I know this sin ought to haunt you. Sin should disturb you. Come on, somebody. Don't let the things of this world sear your your conscience. You've got to let sin, you've got to let it trouble you. If you've blown it, listen, we got, we have an altar. We've got an advocate. We've, We've got a high priest who's been touched with infirmities. Come on, somebody. I'm in the book this morning. You need to understand. The rub is not acknowledging. The rub is forsaking and repenting of those sins. Repentance is not saying, I'm sorry. Repentance is turning around and walking the other direction. That's real biblical repentance. And if you want some comfort, if you came in today and you've got grief and pain and anguish in your life, I I promise you that if you'll come to an altar and lift your hands and begin to confess to the Lord Jesus Christ and forsake those sins, you'll walk out of here with greater comfort than a Mercedes Benz. Brother Jones, you can't travel in that kind of luxury. I'm walking through this life. And I laid in that bed in that hospital, Sister Lawrence, and not one time did I question where I was going. That never came into my mind. I never had an issue. I didn't think about that. I said, I said, Pastor, I want my funeral to be like this. I want him to run and shout and jump. He 
But I didn't question where I was going to be. Why? Because I know I've made some things right here. I had some comfort and some peace. Come on, somebody. I feel the Holy Ghost in this room this morning. You can't get a greater comfort than knowing you're right with the Lord. Hebrews 8 and 12, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Isaiah 55 and 7, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. To our God, he will abundantly pardon. I'm so glad. I couldn't think of a better comfort. I... The things of this world, they're all, they're all fading. They're all going to. But that is the greatest comfort. I watched some of you come in here. You're so heavy. You're so. Don't you know you got an altar? Amen. Don't you know you got a place you can say, Lord, forgive me? Right. Don't you know you've got an opportunity every time you walk into the house of God, every time you kneel beside your bed, every time you open, you open your mouth in prayer, Jesus Christ, forgive me of my sins. All of that weight, all of that burden, just lay it down. What comfort. What comfort. Jesus would go on say, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Psalms 37 and 11 is where most commentators feel like Jesus took this from. He said, the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. This Old Testament promise with New Testament ramifications. So, such a great promise. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This one statement, my opinion, when understood and lived contains the secret to an overcoming life, contains the secret to dealing with every kind of difficulty that life has to offer. My opinion, it's probably the message of Jesus Christ reduced into a single sentence. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Like the last promise that we considered from a human standpoint, this statement, this promise seems ridiculous. I mean, all the evidence around me suggests that the aggressive and not the meek are going to inherit the earth. I just look around and, you know, I mean, people with money got things. Us poor folk, we got a few things, but not much. And, you know, I just kind of look at it and, and from, from strictly from a, a humanistic standpoint, the meek don't seem like they get much, right? They get pushed out of line and, and, and shoved in the corner and moved past. And, and that's from, from that aspect, that's probably from a, a natural aspect, that's right. But Jesus said it's, when we look at this idea of the meek shall inherit the earth, we got to realize that there are two specific things. He's speaking of the earth, and he didn't mean just the soil and the planet that we call earth. When I, if I said this morning, what do you think of when we think of inheritance? Many of you would think of monetary value. We would think of those things the, the HELPS word study says it this way. He says it, it has a, a double connotation with the Greek word that is used here. And I didn't put the Greek word in my notes for all of you Greek scholars this morning. But 
he describes it as the physical earth. But he also says figuratively, it's the arena in which we live. It's the, it's the place where life happens. Specifically, it's the place of space and time that God is utilizing or using to prepare you and I for eternity. The Greek word literally means a manifestation. And so if we, if we put it in that, in that context, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the place where we live or they shall inherit the, the manifestation uh, of God. And so Jesus, in a, in a very real sense, he's talking about not just the earth, but he's talking specifically about your earth, the place where, where you live, right? The, the, the place where you inherit. And so meekness is describing not just that house or that place of land, but rather that, that, that place, you know, that, I mean, you, you live in a sphere, right? You have contact with people and places and things, and, and you know, our, 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 our world has shrunk so much in our lifetimes, many of our lifetimes. When I was a kid, you know, you could, you could travel by plane, but now it's so commonplace. We can be across the country or into, on a different continent in just a matter of hours. And so this idea, this one writer says, he's describing the whole of your outer experience or the sum of your existence. What does that mean? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to inherit the place that I live. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me because I, if I live there and I'm paying for it, pretty much I, I kind of feel like it's, it's mine or at least it's mine in the banks. And, and I kind of feel like, you know, I'm, maybe I'm not going to inherit that, but someday it'll be mine, right? But we kind of want to step back a little bit before we get into inheritance too much and talk about the idea of meekness. What he's saying here is that through the, the attitude, that mature attitude of meekness, that you and I have the, the power, the ability, the, even the authority to bring harmony and truth into every situation of my life. What, what, what does that mean? What does that, what does that look like? What, is, what, what are you saying, Brother Roberts? I'm talking about every condition of my life, every circumstance of my life, and every situation of my life with a meek attitude, I have an opportunity to bring truth and harmony into that situation. Now, anybody have a life situation that is something less than harmonious? It's a couple honest folk, right? Um, we, we live in a world with people in it. And harmony is not easily achieved in many circumstances and situations. But the truth is this. Jesus isn't just referring to the conditions of my, my bodily health or even the affairs of my life. He's talking about a concept that probably goes beyond what we think would be biblical. He's talking about something that you've always wanted, but the hard part is we don't understand how to get it, to be the master of our own world. Anybody? Our world says it this way, you do you and I'll do me. Let me alone. I'll do my, right? What they're saying is, look, I, I, I'll control my destiny. You worry about yours. Okay? You get, you get it, right? Now, that's an attitude. But what I want to tell you is that's not a meek attitude. 
You see, when we start talking about this, Jesus says the meek shall, they're the ones that shall inherit. And, and so in so many ways, this doesn't make it any sense at all. My, my humanity says this can't possibly be, be right. I, I can change my destiny. I have a say what happens in my life. And, and it, but the, the reality is we understand this. We think it's going to happen by our own effort. We think it's going to happen by our hard work, right, because of, what, because of what I give, right? But we never think in our humanity to bring meekness in to change my situation. The truth is I can change my circumstance. You can change your circumstance. Now, I can do it through pride and arrogance. Anybody ever done that? <clears throat> And that's how the fat got in the fire. <laughs> Come on, somebody be honest with Brother Roberts this morning. I, I, no, I'll fix this. <laughs> you should have left that alone. My dad told me, let sleeping dogs lie. Right? It started in the, it started in the kitchen. Honey, you just don't understand. Words that just don't seem to flow very well to a harmonious relationship. But here's what Jesus said, or what the Bible says. The Bible says that Jesus was meek in the things of God. Here's what the words of Jesus. Of myself, I can do nothing. Now, the Bible scholars, let me break that word nothing down for you. No thing. The Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, said of myself or by myself, I can't do nothing. I can't do nothing, right? And one commentator says the, the true significance of this word meek in the Bible is an attitude for which there is no single word available, and the mental attitude is the secret of real prosperity. Jesus would go on in John chapter 4, verse 34. He said, my meat is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Well, all of this doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Why? Because a meek attitude is a combination of three very simple things. The first one is this. A meek attitude comes from being open-minded. Well, you're just not very open-minded. What are you talking about, Brother Roberts? We go to church. We're, no, no. Listen, for your life and for my life, it's so easy for us to get locked into what we think the will of God is. We get locked in, right? And the truth is, when you get locked in and you're not open to what God wants to do in your life, in your situation, in your circumstance, then the reality is that's not meekness, that's pride. I know what the will of God is for my life. Okay. Okay, keep on. Listen, a lot of, you go back and read, there's a lot of people that thought they knew what the will of God was for their life, and they ended up a train wreck before they had trains. It was bad, right? So the first thing you got to have in order to have a real spirit of meekness is an open mind. Because if you want God to change the situation, you can't tell God how to change the situation. Now, I'm telling you that you can be the master of your universe. You can bring peace and harmony and truth into every situation in your life, but you can't do it yourself. It's going to come through meekness. And so the first thing you got to have is you got to be open 
to letting God do what God wants to do. Moses walks up to the Red Sea, and God said, take out that staff that you've been walking with, old man. He's 80 years old. Moses was leaning on this thing, and I want you to hold it out over the water. Well, this sounds pretty stupid, said Brother Roberts, standing at the Red Sea. And my critical nature is going, listen, God, uh, I, you know, I may not know the best route, but I wouldn't have led everybody to a dead end. <laughs> Be honest. I, I'm helping somebody here. I'm talking, about, I'm talking about bringing truth and harmony into your, because you don't have an open mind. You would have never thought to hold. Well, it sounds stupid, God, but if you say so. But we come to church and the preacher says, you need to be worshiping. And you're like, yeah, whatever. I'm not. Hello, I'm talking to somebody. I'm helping you. We've gone beyond comfort now. We're moving to a place. I'm going to inherit some things. I'm going to have possession. I'm going to, I'm going to change my circumstance. But I'm not open-minded enough to let God do God. I'm not open-minded enough to let God operate the way. Why? Because the second part of this the whole idea of, of, of meekness is I've got to have faith in God. But I can't have faith in God unless I'm open-minded to the things of God. Well, I know how God works. I've been in church since I was blah, 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 blah. And I know. I'm talking to somebody here. There's a spirit of pride and arrogance that hides itself in self-preservation. It expo it's exposed by the spirit of meekness that says, whatever you want to do, God. But we come in to a church service, and I'm, I want to prove to you how closed-minded you are. We're going to sing three or four songs, and the preacher's going to preach, and we're going to go home. But if something changes, your not-so-meek flesh will get irritated. That lunchtime clock in your belly be like, what, it's 2 o'clock, Pastor. Am I talking to somebody? So I've got to be open-minded to the things of God. I've got to have faith in God. And then I've got to have the realization that the will of God is always better than what I want. Amen. There's some rub there. That's tough, right? The will of God is always going to be better. It's always going to bring out more, something more vital. It's always going to bring more joy. It's always going to ultimately bring something more interesting than what I could think of myself. And so this mental attitude is the key to success. But let me tell you how all of this kind of works. James wrote it this way, and I quote this probably four times a month when I'm pre preaching and teaching regularly. He says this in James 4 and 6, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Amen. Here's what I'm telling you. Meekness is not a surrender to people or to personality, but it's a surrender to the will of God. The best conductor of electricity is the, what is the substance through which has the least resistance to the flow of the electrical current. Now, that's, that's, not, that's, not, that's not difficult to understand, right? And so the best conductor of divine power is the person who is non-resistant to the flow of divine power. Here's how Peter wrote it in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. He said, likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves. 
There goes half the crowd right there. Do, do sub, he didn't say subway, did he? Sub, 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 oh, no, mit, no, 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 no. Yea, all of you be subject one to, the, one to another and be clothed with humility. Why? Because here's the key. God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. What are you talking about? How is it that the meek inherit the earth? When every bit of evidence around me is the pride and the arrogant and those go-getters are going to, how is it that according to the word of God, that the meek are going to inherit the earth? Why? Because here's the difference. God always opposes that Bible, that, that word that is used there for resisteth, the Greek, if you go back and study in the Greek, it says it's one of the strongest oppositions possible. In no sense, in no manner will God ever be brought into a place of pride and arrogance when you begin to think you know how God's going to do it and you know what God's going to do and you know when God's going to do it. That's pride. That's arrogance. And God says, oh no, I'm out. Check out, dude. You're on your own. You hold the stick. You don't hold the stick. That's up to you. But when you come to God with an attitude that is meek and humble and says, you know what, God, I'm open to whatever you want to do. I believe you can do anything. And I realize that whatever you choose, that just brings God into. I'm talking to some people that you're like, man, I just need some harmony. I just need some truth in this situation. I've just been dealing with this thing, and it's going on and on and on and on, and I just can't get no peace. You want some peace? Try humility. Surrender that situation to God. Give it to He's talking about the arena. He's not talking about the physical earth. He's talking about where you live and what you're dealing with and the circumstance of your life. I can handle this. I got this one, Jesus. You just sit on the sideline. Don't put him in the dugout. Put him up on the plate. Let him swing one. Let him come. Does that make sense? I'm talking, you want to talk about a promise, Jesse? You know how to bring God into every situation? Find you a place and say, God, I don't know what's going on, and I don't know much, but God, not your will, but my will be done. My meat is to do the will of him. Come on. Of myself, I can do nothing. You want to bring God into the situation? It comes through meekness. I'm going to inherit my family. I'm going to inherit. I'm telling you, the blessing of God, we're talking about a beatitude. It is such a difficult place for us to understand. Listen, he's got the best answer for my human need. He's got the best answer for my emotional need. He's got the best answer for my spiritual need. How do I inherit? Through humility. The Bible says Moses was the meekest man that ever lived on the face of the earth. Go back and look at, just go back and read the story. Moses, I want you to go down to Egypt. Uh, God, I'm not welcome there. I got, a, I got a criminal past. If I go down there, they're going to put me in jail, maybe worse. God said, I got this. Okay. 
Uh, God, <clears throat> um, I, I'm, uh, I be, uh, be, I'm a bit stuttered. I, be, I don't talk to good. God says, okay, take care. Let's go. Let's go. Goes down there and God says, I want you to walk into Pharaoh's courtroom and tell Pharaoh how it's going to be. Uh, uh, hold, hold on, God. God, I grew up in that courtroom, and uh, that's a bad idea. This, listen, this is what we do. God, you know what's going on in my life? I got a job situation. I got a marriage situation. I got a kid situation. I got a financial situation. Oh, God, I don't, you know, but I, I don't, I, I got to, you know, I only make so much money, Lord. Be open-minded. That's pride and arrogance that says God can only work through your job. We read it every week. He's going to give me inheritances and... Pro- I'm, am I helping somebody here? I'm talking about a promise of God's word, but I'm so close-minded sometimes about the things of God. Well, only Pastor Staten can minister. No, no, no. That's the word of God. It's not the man. It's the word. Well, I'm worried about this, and I'm terrified about this. No, no, you bring with the meek spirit the Holy Ghost in. And when you walk up to a Red Sea, and the Holy Ghost says, hey, that thing in your hand, just hold it out. And when the water begins to roll back, it's pretty cool, God. Hey, y'all, y'all, come on, I got this. Woohoo! it's pretty good, God. Come on, y'all. They went across the bottom of the Red Sea on dry ground. Some mama got on the other side and said, oh my God, it was so dusty down there. (laughs) Somebody complained that it wasn't you hear what I'm saying? I'm talking about a spirit. I want, listen, I'm going, to, I'm going to inherit my family and my family's family and my grandchildren and my children are going to live for God. And every, listen, I got aunts and uncles and cousins that are going to know. Somebody hear me. It comes, uh, the, the meek shall inherit the earth, uh, but it's not coming from pride and arrogance. It's coming when I bring God. But he ain't done. We get out in the middle of the desert, and everybody's like, Moses, you hypocrite, you creep, you brought us out here. You're the worst pastor in the whole wide world. Moses, there ain't a drop of water out here. And God said, hey, Moses, that big rock that's been following you around, go, 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 go speak to him. How many millions of gallons of water Float out of a rock that rolled around in the desert. That's what my Bible says. Millions of people drank from a rock in the desert that moved when they moved. But God, you can't somehow give me the money to pay this bill. But God, you can't, I don't understand, God, how you could possibly fix my husband or my wife or my, God, you just can't. I just know if you, if I talk to my kids, God, it'll get, that's not meekness. That's a hidden, subversive, 
spirit of pride and arrogance when you think you got to fix it. You're going to fix something, it's going to be just like comfort. It starts at an altar. It starts with a promise. The meek shall inherit the arena in which they live. But you got to believe that God can. And you got to have an open mind. And Oh, come on, somebody. I feel the Holy Ghost in here. These are great promises. Tremendous promises of the Word of God. No greater comfort, Brother Moses, than to walk into the back of the church knowing that I have been forgiven for every sin. Woo! They're under the blood. They're gone. They're covered. They're nailed to a cross somewhere. When I step down to worship today in a spirit of meekness and I begin to lift my hands and say, thank you, Jesus, I recognize that with an open mind and faith and recognizing that his will is greater than my will, I know that I'm inheriting all of the arena of my life and everywhere that I go and everything... Stand with me this morning. Somebody lift a hand this morning and claim those promises. Somebody just say, God, I thank you for your comfort. God, I thank you for comfort that goes beyond what the world could ever experience. It's better than luxury. It's better than pleasure. It's better than anything this world has to offer. But God, I thank you, Lord. Help me to be humble before you. Help me to bring you into every circumstance. Help me, God, because I want to inherit the arena of my life. I want to inherit the place where you live. In the name of Jesus, God, I pray right now over Living Hope Church. I pray over the people of God. I release anointing and power and authority that comes through meekness. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Why don't we clap our hands to the Lord and give him some praise. I don't know what you're going through today. No idea. But I promise you this, you can leave here with the complete peace of God in your heart. Amen. Every sin under the blood. You've not been baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of every sin. Today is your day. Amen. We would love to baptize you, calling on the name of the Lord and washing away every sin. You could walk out of here as clean and free as you possibly could ever be in your life. And I promise you, as you begin to worship God today, some of you are going to bring that meek, that paraclete, that, that spirit of God is going to walk right into the room with you, and you're going to begin to inherit that arena, that place through meekness and not through pride and arrogance. In Jesus' name, amen. Greet somebody. We're going to have some great church here in just a few moments. Amen. God bless you. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. So I'm going to wait on you, Jesus.
I'm gonna wait on you. She 